produced by Life Acumen. Helping organizations build high-performance culture. Stare into a mirror long enough, and it's hard not to wonder whether that's a mask staring back, and if so, who's really behind it? In a survey of senior corporate executives on what are some of their deep-seated fears, researchers found that the biggest fear among these C-suite executives was the fear of being discovered to be incompetent, also known as the imposter syndrome. And so you see behind the stage too, there is the green room, where after the play is over and before it begins, the masks are taken off. And so that behind the scene, that is to say in reality, under the surface, you are all the actor. Marvelously skilled in playing many parts and in getting lost in the mazes of your own minds and the entanglements of your own affairs, as if this were the most urgent thing going. But behind the scenes, in the green room, you always have a very tiny sneaking suspicion that you might not be the you that you think you are. That was Alan Watts, the well-known British writer, spiritual speaker and seeker. Welcome to Life Acumen at Work. Here is your host, Vinod Wadwani. Hi, I'm Vinod Wadwani and this is Life Acumen at Work. Today's episode is on the pitfalls of imposter syndrome in high-achieving executives. This is the first episode in the multi-episode series on managing fears in the C-suite. In this episode, we will discuss the negative aspects of imposter syndrome and how it impacts the individual and the organization he or she leads. What is imposter syndrome? Is it real? It is real. And uh, I have seen it play out in my coaching engagements where executives have expressed a complex mix of feelings of inadequacy that refuse to go away, despite uh, their obvious achievements and success. Make no mistake, these are high-achieving and highly successful executives, but strangely, tend to have persistent pangs of chronic self-doubt and a sense of intellectual dishonesty that dominate their feelings of success or external proof of their competence. A coaching client in his early 50s I'll call him Rajesh John or RJ, is uh, typical of many top-level executives who struggle with imposter syndrome. Despite several achievements, including a partnership at a leading law firm, RJ always feels like an underachiever. Every day, he feels the stress of trying to prove himself to his peers. 
clients and even subordinates what rj fears is that soon someone will find out the dreadful truth about his incompetence that this mask of competence will come off and that he will lose his responsibilities his partnership and eventually his job mind you this is coming from a senior professional who has hardly received a negative performance appraisal some common thoughts and feelings exhibited by people like RJ who seem to have imposter syndrome what i have seen in my coaching engagements that uh, people like RJ who seem to suffer from imposter syndrome uh, exhibit uh, at least uh, two common feelings or i must say self beliefs one of the self beliefs uh, is that i must not fail and uh, in the case of rj he had built this huge amount of pressure on himself to not fail somehow in his mind he equated failing with incompetence his fear of being found out as incompetent made him wanted to keep winning other feeling rj had was that he felt like a fake he believed uh, he does not deserve success or professional honors and felt he is deceiving others into thinking he is very competent this feeling of being fake goes hand in hand with a fear of being found out uh, discovered or uh, exposed rj believed he gave the impression of being more competent than he really was as deep down he felt he lacked knowledge or expertise I must add here that RJ had a very confident demeanor and did not showcase these feelings externally to his colleagues or clients. These feelings were expressed by RJ in the coaching conversation. Do events and experiences in an individual's formative years have a bearing on developing imposter syndrome in adulthood? Yes, uh, the formative years do have an impact. Research done by social psychologists on high-level executives suggests that specific family structures can propagate feelings of imposter. Some families in which parents are overinvested in achievement and where emotional warmth is lacking tend to nurture children who could become prone to negative or neurotic imposture individuals who have been raised in this kind of environment seem to believe that their parents will notice them only when they excel as time goes on uh, these people often turn into insecure overachievers Interestingly research also suggests that at the other end of the spectrum that is in socially disadvantaged families where parents who withhold encouragement because their children's ambitions are inconsistent with family expectations uh, tend to nurture children prone to negative imposture some children who manage to advance to positions of real power as adults 
and uh, uh, remarkably transcend their families of origin uh, may continue to have a lingering feeling of insecurity about having become so grand in success frequently uh, because of conflicting signals they received in their formative years these executives wonder just how long that success will last i would like to add uh, as i am discussing the pitfalls of imposter syndrome in this episode i have been talking about negative or neurotic imposture however imposter syndrome doesn't necessarily has to be always negative or destructive i will discuss the positive side of imposter syndrome in my next episode where i will be exploring how you can make imposter syndrome work for you negative or neurotic imposter syndrome here means the imposture that hampers the individual's professional progress at the least which may become debilitating for some with detrimental effects on individual personal well-being as negative imposture has been found to be related to feelings of depression and overall poorer mental health Does perfectionism play a role in imposter syndrome? Perfectionism does play a role. Uh, researchers have studied the relationship between imposter syndrome and perfectionism. The results uh, point out that in its mild form, perfectionism provides the energy that leads to great accomplishments. Researchers have actually tried to differentiate between uh, normal or adaptive perfectionists and uh, maladaptive or uh, uh, neurotic perfectionists. Uh, normal or adaptive perfectionists do not suffer feelings of inadequacy. They derive pleasure from their achievements and don't obsess over failures. These normal perfectionists do not have the tendency to suffer uh, from a negative imposter syndrome. On the other hand, uh, maladaptive or neurotic perfectionists set excessively high idealistic goals, uh, experience self-defeating thoughts and behaviors when they can't reach these goals. And these neurotic perfectionists tend to exhibit negative imposture. They are driven by the belief that they are currently not good enough. For this reason, perfectionism often turns neurotic imposters into workaholics. Uh, fearing discovery of their deception they burden themselves with too much work to compensate for their lack of self esteem and identity work life harmony is a meaningless concept to them one researcher interestingly uh, in an article wrote that he is reminded of a cartoon that depicts a ceo while handing over a file to one of his subordinates says take your time i'm not in a hurry take the whole weekend if necessary this is an example of a typical leader who exhibits negative imposter syndrome neurotic imposters like the ceo 
may enter into offensive, uh, self-defeating behaviors of this sort. They don't realize that uh, they may be pushing themselves and others too hard, often impairing their own long-term success. By exploiting themselves severely in this way, they risk rapid and early burnout. The underlying traits that researchers connect with imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and neuroticism seem to be a dangerous combo. You seek perfection, but you're also neurotic, which probably makes you anxious when you don't achieve perfection. Seems like a vicious cycle? It is indeed a vicious cycle. Researchers have even referred to it as the imposter cycle. When an achievement-related task is assigned to them, imposters are usually overwhelmed with worry, self-doubt, and anxiety. In order to deal with these feelings, they either extremely over-prepare a task or initially procrastinate, and then follow that with frantic preparation. Mostly, they succeed and they experience temporary feelings of elation and respite. However, instead of being happy with what they have achieved, their success actually reinforces the feelings of imposture rather than weakening them. Because in their mind, this success does not reflect true ability. The tune which is playing in their mind is, of course, I've succeeded. I put an excessive amount of effort and time in this project, maybe double than someone else would have needed. And that's the reason I have succeeded. Hence, uh, once a new task is assigned to them, uh, feelings of anxiety and self-doubt reoccur. Let me give you another example of this vicious cycle. In this example, the imposter actually sets impossible goals. He fails to reach these impossible goals, which incites further self-whipping and heightens the feelings of imposture and actually inspires him to designate yet another set of unattainable goals. And the entire cycle of workaholism and deception begins again. Researchers have postulated that some knowledge economy professions such as investment banking and consulting could be more prone to imposter syndrome. I can at least recall one such charismatic banker at a highly prestigious investment bank who set ever-increasing goals of financial compensation for himself to deal with his anxieties about being a fake. Initially, he felt elated whenever he reached his goal, but he became more desperate every time he learned that someone else in his organization earned a higher bonus than he did. This kicked off another round of imposter cycle that did little to improve his personal well-being or his organizational effectiveness. How do leaders with negative imposter syndrome impact their organizations? There have been numerous examples in the corporate world of leaders with neurotic imposter syndrome. Whether 
the neurotic imposter is mid-level or C-suite leader, uh, they all tend to damage their organization in the long run. We discussed earlier that these leaders uh, tend to be workaholics, hence uh, their work ethic can be contagious. But because of their anxiety of being fake, uh, combined with eagerness to succeed, they often become impatient and abrasive. Neurotic imposters are extremely tough on themselves and uh, hence do not spare others as well. Uh, they drive their employees too hard and create unhealthy competition in their organizations, uh, which uh, inevitably translates into high employee turnover rates, uh, lower productivity and other problems that can affect the top and bottom line. Another interesting observation is on the use of external consultants. Well, uh, judicious use of consulting advice uh, has its place, uh, but neurotic imposter executives are very likely to become overly dependent on consulting companies uh, because reassurances provided by so-called independent outsiders uh, compensate for their feelings of insecurity and also acts as CYA. This type of uh, dependent behavior further gets intensified when neurotic imposters work in an organization that punishes failure. If the company culture does not tolerate mistakes, the leader's level of anxiety will increase. Uh, making neurotic behavior all the more likely. This is paralyzing for the perfectionist imposter whose fear of failure uh, will have an even more negative impact on the organization. As I wind up this episode, I would like to remind listeners that the next episode in the series Managing Fears in the C-Suite will be on how you can make use of imposter syndrome for professional and personal growth. On the topic, why high achievement oriented employees can be risky for organizations in the long run, listeners can look up for insights in episode eight. Listeners interested in building up their resilience muscle can look up for insights in episode two on why staunch acceptance of reality helps in facing adversity. Episode 4 on how making meaning of adversity helps build resilience. And episode 1 on what makes resilience. Thank you for listening. Produced by Life Acumen. Helping organizations build high performance culture. <laughs>